Welcome to How It's Musically Made, a podcast dedicated to redefining the art song tradition. I'm your co-host, Maggie. And I'm your co-host, Ben. Today we're meeting with Rebecca, Nevada, Marissa, and Namdi about their progress since a few weeks ago. The last time we met, we heard one line of poetry about a river, translated to many different musical forms. Today we'll hear a full poem and more music. Let's start with three excerpts from this group's song in progress. The first two feature Namdi singing, and the third is Rebecca on the piano. What was I supposed to understand in the sound of your Thunderhead, like faith. River, here is what I know. The last time we met, we heard just one line from Marissa, if I remember correctly, which was, I hear the river shudder miles from my feet. And then we talked about Nevada's river-like piano texture in response to that. So today we have a full poem in what seems like almost a full song. Marissa, can you start with the poem and either read through it all or talk with us about it? For sure. What was I supposed to understand in the sound of your waters? Your amber language, elemental strange, those arcane syllables rolling over me like a thunderhead, like faith. I knelt the child at your banks. I knelt as for any god that knows more than me and speaks it, like a sister to her sister in the bedroom dark. Whispered so as not to wake. How do you run forward not knowing what will find you? Somewhere, an ocean so abstract and wanting it will swallow you whole. 
but what makes a mercy what a bruising what an abrupt alchemy river here is what i know hardly anything each new day dresses us again in our simple bodies time spins time spins us rudderless tumbling towards forces still too far to recognize out there maybe an annihilation or out there maybe a freedom a reason to exhale so low and long it makes a song of me wide waters listen i planted blindly that's what a life is but now autumn slopes the sun i'm turning towards a field to harvest without a name for any fruit without clue of scent or shape but i swear sure as a memory i taste that sweetness i swear whatever answers you're trying to speak in your tide crash wave shout sunlight echo gleam and ringing if i can't hear them yet i will so we had um as you'd mentioned we had started with kind of the line so nevada had asked me for kind of maybe fragments of poems to see kind of where we could get started um and i gave him a set of, of several and he had picked the one that you had mentioned about the river um shuddering miles from one's feet and so we had talked a little bit between the four of us about what kind of context or, or emotional kind of situation we, we wanted to kind of arise from that. And we decided on a, something that would have to do with a feeling of, um, so Rebecca, I think in particular, had, had talked about kind of like where she was feeling at in her life in terms of like this kind of moment of being on kind of the edge of, of studenthood and then also kind of adulthood in a more kind of traditional sense and like reaching towards a future, not really knowing what it will feel like or what it might encompass. And so we kind of talked together about about kind of using that feeling as as the poem's um, situation. And so I tried to write into um, the idea of future and the unsureness of the future, which I feel like especially right now with the pandemic is something that a lot of us are feeling in a lot of different ways um, and kind of not, you know, wanting to have, have faith in the... And the possibility of something beautiful while also kind of recognizing that that a kind of fear or nervousness is a, a deeply natural thing and using the river as kind of a um an impetus for for the discussion of that um so yeah that's kind of that's where the poem came from that was where kind of its roots mm -hmm. can you also tell us a little bit more about the structure of the poem and because since we have um music from Nevada that has some structure to it. Um, I'm wondering if, if you can tell us about the poem itself and if you have views of that before it was set to music. Um, I think for me, there are kind of two kind of main parts because there was even a point where I'd asked, um, I was unsure of like kind of how long something like this needed to be. It's my first kind of foray into art song making. So I, I had put kind of a note, like if this whole thing is too long, we can end here. Um, that was the point between Arista exhale so low and long it makes a song of me and then the turn towards wide waters close and I planted blindly. That's what a life is. Um, which I mean, there's, you know, of course, the innate relation between the two, but I think there's a moment where it becomes less kind of, um, less a hypothetical and more kind of personal talk, less kind of immediately rhetorical and more a kind of an internal nature to the piece before it kind of goes, it returns to, to the, um, the kind of, you know, metaphorical speaking to the river. Um, 
And I think, I know it's such, it's a difficult thing to talk about, I think, because in my mind, there are maybe several small sections, like somewhere in ocean so abstract and one thing will swallow you whole also kind of seems to create its own, a, a slight break from what comes before. Well, also in terms yeah. of, of how you, you wrote it. So we're looking at the text right now. Um, and it's written with couplets, right? So yes. the whole thing is couplets straight through. Um, can you tell us about that? Where where are the line breaks and why did you decide to put them there? Yes. Yeah, so I think couplets for this piece kind of spoke to me in the sense of it, A, being a kind of a, a sort of conversation, even if an imagined conversation. And so there's kind of two that is also in, including kind of a singular unit. Um, and I think too, because there's this feeling of a, and I remember I was in a workshop and someone was talking about how they felt that couplets were an inherently violent form, um, which I mm. feel like was a, a statement that stunned me and also really enthralled and compelled me. Um, and I think for something that is dealing with a kind of internal turmoil, um, and a kind of active indecision and, and wavering and the kind of possibilities that branch, um, this, I know the kind of the pairing feels like a natural kind of movement um, for me for, for those kinds of notions. Mm -hmm. Also another question, like, so diction and word choice and important words. I'm wondering how do you like sit and play with different options for words or like there's certain words that are just, that just stick out, you know, like Amber and elemental and these, these words that are, they're pretty specific, but also they encompass a lot within them. So I'm wondering what you're, choice or decision-making process for coming up with those words is there's a, a sense of always of course trying to reach towards the most specific thing but something that can also contain multiple meanings i mm -hmm. think is quite important for me so the meaning of elemental that's something that is like both water as an element also something that is fundamental or essential to something for example um or below an ocean so abstract and wanting um, I like to abstract for the idea of ocean because it is so vast as to be kind of almost impossible to conceptualize. But but it also kind of contains this, it, it, it kind of harkens back to to this kind of metaphor that's being built as of the ocean as kind of the future that one is tumbling towards. Um, I also, you know, sound is a big deal for me as well. And so like, I, I like the sound of amber language, elemental strains, the way the syllables kind of roll together. Mm -hmm. um, or below, um, abrupt alchemy. Um, well, even bruising abrupt alchemy. I mean, you get kind of the, the consonants of bruising and abrupt and simultaneously the alliteration of abrupt and alchemy. Um, and even kind of an assonance with the E in bruising that then is repeated in, in alchemy E at the end of that. And so trying to find the ways in which there can be these puzzle pieces and, and interlocking moments between, um, the internal music of, of the words. Um, as we're moving through it, I think is significant for me. Um, and it's similar with like later, um, annihilation, a freedom, a reason, um, low and long, it makes a song of me, the below the long alliteration, the, the kind of in rhyme of, of long and song as well. So trying to find ways in which each kind of word can in some way lead to or, or kind of, I don't know, kind of, kind of give us a, a, an image or a, a door into the next word and to the next kind of meaning that will be revealed. Um, and kind of carried on to the next kind of section, um, allowing each word, I guess, to be kind of a bridge to the next um, with the use of like the way that the sounds are operating together. Absolutely. And that's a good transition into uh, 
Nevada, the, the music. So yeah, so we've just been taking a look at the score. Maybe it's kind of a bridge to what Marissa's talking about with these kind of, um, you know, kind of bridges between words and everything. Maybe we'll start with um, form. So you sent us three kind of discrete excerpts um, <laughs> where you had a certain amount of formal separation between the parts in, in this piece, right? Well, in, in terms of piano texture, in terms of text setting and the voice. Um, can you talk about how you extracted the form from this poem? Like how you came up with your own musical separations and kind of musical commas, if you will, cadences, things like that. Totally. Uh, part of that comes from uh, our conversations with Marissa, but uh, we basically um, are separating the river, which is uh, we're taking to mean as the journey, and the future, um, or the ocean, which we're taking to mean as the future. Um, so the first step of the process was determining, okay, which parts of the poem refer to the journey or the river, and then which parts uh, refer to the destination or the ocean. Uh, so as you look through the poem, obviously we're starting more from the uh, river perspective. And then obviously we get to somewhere in ocean, so abstract and walking. So that's where I, okay, I draw a line on the piece of paper and say, that's where we start something um, new, a new section. And we have to hear it as a new section and probably a new um, musical idea as well. And then within that first section of the poem, I think, okay, where does where do the thoughts change? And so I see, you know, like a, a thunderhead, like faith, and there's a period after that. So that's a good indication um, that we're starting something new. Uh, and indeed, we do. Uh, it's kind of a new thought um, or an additional thought uh, to what Marissa had written before. Um, and then that section culminates with a question. How do you run forward not knowing what will find you? Um, and I thought, oh, that's that's really kind of the question that the narrator of the poem is asking throughout the poem, encapsulated in this really clear phrase. So the first, uh, you know, section of the piece needs to lead to that. And then we start something new with somewhere in Ocean So Abstract and Wanting. Uh, and then you just continue looking, you know, okay, so there's river, here's what I know. So we're returning to kind of a river context. So that ocean section um, can be expansive, but it actually doesn't encompass too many lines. Um, so that was kind of the process uh, of just scanning, seeing where the thoughts change, where the imagery changes in the poem. Yeah, and, and interestingly, the, the kind of breaks in the poem don't necessarily always line up with those breaks that you have, those kind of, uh, or subtextual breaks. Um, Marissa, in terms of having those breaks in your poem and then kind of reconciling what Nevada did in terms of his dramatic musical breaks, um, I'm just curious about yeah, what you think about that. What is your reaction to um, Nevada's kind of, like when he ends a phrase, musical phrase, when he puts his commas versus where you put your commas and if that influences the way you think about the poem. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's really fascinating and kind of a really incredible experience to watch the way that the poem unfolds sectionally for, for other people and as each as we kind of read through it individually. And the way, too, that like the, the musical lines and phrases come together and, and kind of lend, I know, not a new meaning, but, but lend an entirely kind of a, a new shape to something. Um, and like I... And, and yeah, it, it does, I think, make me feel, I was, you know, we were talking a little bit on our group chat earlier, and there are parts where I was like, oh, maybe this would sound better if, like, the language were a little bit kind of tighter instead of as long as I'd made it initially. 
um, because of the way that the kind of music, um, the music that Nevada constructed kind of gave it a different texture um, moving through it. And so it's, I know, an, an incredible kind of experience to watch the way that the, the shape of the poem um, becomes something different in an auditory as opposed to a visual form. Yeah, absolutely. And um, another thing is kind of this this rhythm and uh, rhythm of the language. And this is obviously something that that Marissa, you think a lot about, but that Nevada also very concretely thinks about in terms of one thing that Nevada mentioned last week was that, you know, he wants all the words to kind of be very clear and understandable. And so I think in this, you do an excellent job of that, like honoring the rhythms of the words themselves. Can you talk about how you come up with a musical rhythm for a pre-existing uh, textual rhythm, Nevada? For example, it just kind of, you know, you have the word elemental kind of kind of spilling out a little faster than some other words. And you have this kind of expansive setting of river, just as two examples. Yeah. Can you, can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I mean, all that was totally intentional, but it's, it's interesting to hear that spoken back to me. Um, uh, I think it's identifying what is the important word of the phrase um, and what, what words lead up to that important word. Okay, I think the first step of the process is just saying the poem yourself. What was I supposed to understand and the sound of your waters? And all those words in my mind lead to the word waters. And since water is an imagery that's used throughout the poem, obviously I want that to be a little highlighted. So my priority for the first, for every word up until water, is to make it sound like somebody was speaking it, uh, sound very conversational. And then Waters is where I add kind of the, I guess, quote unquote, poetry, the poetic element of, okay, we're going to extend that and highlight it, um, which is not necessarily how you'd say it, but it's musically highlighting the importance of that phrase. With River, it's kind of the same situation. Uh, in that particular section of the music, everything slows down just a little bit. It's a little bit more thoughtful and reflective. So everything is going to last a little bit longer. Um, but river here is what I know is all setting up the response to that, which is hardly anything. So river here is what I know that's going to go a little bit quicker. And then hardly anything is going to take just a little bit longer so that we really soak in that response. And yeah, paying attention to those, those subtle differences, for example, between like a dotted eighth note and I mean, this is kind of very technical, but you know, the, <laughs> yeah. there, are, there are differences, right, between like a dotted eighth note and an eighth note and a triplet and a sixteenth note, like when you're setting text, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. I think uh, and this is something um, I'll have to, you know, Namdi and I will work on a little bit is uh, when I'm, I guess, getting specific with the rhythms, it's all in the effort of making it sound conversational, uh, which is sometimes tricky. Like in musical theater writing, the delivery is always very conversational. But when you write out the rhythms, you try and keep it very simplistic, eight note, eighth notes, quarter notes or whatever. Um so that just, it's easy to read, but then the performer can take whatever liberties they want. So it's never going to come out as eighth notes. Um, it's going to come out as some combination of 16th, 16th notes and triplets and crazy stuff like that. Um, with this, uh, I decided to get maybe a little bit more specific with the notation, um, but it's all in an effort to mimic the natural delivery as if you were speaking the words. And so... Um, yeah, that's something I think Namdi is going to do uh, beautifully. 
art song and opera composers debate about this. Do you just set eighth notes or do you kind of manage all those different phraseology of the kind of conversational aspect of the language? Let's bring Namdi into the conversation since we've heard you singing some of these lines. Um, can you talk with us about your view of, of um, rhythmic singing and, and using the rhythms on the page versus that conversational feeling? Yeah, I, I think I think it being sort of conversational is important, especially uh, when you think about certain kinds of uh, subject matter. So I think like, you know, a poem like this, it it, it already reads very conversational. Um, and I, I mean, I think Nevada's done a great job with that. <laughs> I mean, I was joking with him earlier um, about, you know, really testing me with these with some of these rhythms and some of these meters. Um <laughs> But it, you know, when you reading it, it uh, you see um, uh, a lot of uh, uh, tied bars and you know changes to like maybe like five eight and whatnot. And it at first it can seem a little overwhelming, but once you like do it and like step away and listen, it sounds really conversational. Also, what about the the range and and the pitches that you're singing? Is is that a discussion you had with Nevada as well? It's in a very comfortable place um, uh, for for me what's cool is um i'm looking at a lot of the dynamic markings uh and where a lot of the times in sort of like a mezzo piano piano sort of place which admittedly i I don't always sing as a dramatic baritone i'm kind of always loud and in your face um but this is a really good contrast for me vocally uh to sort of like see oh okay well where can i um I think it. I think it lends to uh, the the line, the musical line that Nevada has here, um, better to have it in this nice sort of like soft, subdued place. I yeah. I mean, I think like range and tessitura is a really is in a is in a really comfortable place for me. Well, that's great news. <laughs> um, I will say, um, as I was writing these uh, excerpts in the in the whole art song, I was trying to keep myself in check because I have a tendency to just go dramatic. Uh, so really, really loud chords and uh, then really, really soft parts. Um, and um, I was trying to be aware of that and, and write something that was maybe more appropriate for kind of the reflective nature of the poem. So I was, I, on the whole, I try and keep things with this particular song um, a little bit more mellow and then there are certain moments um later on in the poem that are, that feel a little more declarative a little more emphatic so those i do i did allow myself to write forte for those but i on the whole i wanted to um to keep it a little more reflective um nambi is that like does your does your vocal quality just for people that don't necessarily know is that like a is it a big change for you to have these like to have your kind of voice be subdued and quiet versus very loud and and kind of in your face is that a big timbral and technical change for you um not greatly um it's uh, i guess just to to go into it like the pedagogy but just real quick and very readers digesty <laughs> you know there um you have certain sounds of, like you have you have you know you have chest voice and you have head voice um chest voice being a little bit more uh, a brighter dominant sound um and head voice being a little bit more uh subdued and hooty if you will um and so this is th this piece is requiring me to use a little bit more head voice um 
but it's not too much of a technical shift. It's it's um, just maybe changing the color of vowels in places where, you know, um, if I were singing, like, say, an ah vowel uh, at the upper parts of my range and it's like fortissimo, then it'd be it's it's in a much brighter place. Whereas if I'm singing an ah vowel in a higher part of my range uh, and the and it's marked, you know, piano, I'm probably going to sing it um, much in a, with a much darker vowel color, um, which which helps achieve. Um, it, it's just it's really just playing with different tone colors. Right. And I will say, I think the kind of musical theater influence is is present, I would say. I mean, I don't know if you agree with that, but it, it sort of comes through that that light quality that you kind of hear with musical theater singers. It's sometimes shines through, at least in these two recordings. That is that something that you agree with? I agree. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and actually, that's another thing Nevada and I talked about um, just kind of very briefly about like approaches. And I kind of started with this very uh, operatic classical approach. And I kind of stopped like midway through the, uh, the first recordings I was making. And I was like, this doesn't quite feel right. Let me let me play with the sound a little bit more. And it, it kind of ended up leaning more towards um, uh, the recordings that we have here now. Um, and it just it feels at least to me a little bit more a little more fitting to the uh, to the nature of the piece. I want to shift over and um, get Rebecca in here in this conversation since Rebecca is looking at the piano part, but probably also the vocal part too, I would think. Um, at least I know when when I go to learn a song, I feel like I have to be able to sing along to it in order to really understand what I'm playing. Um, I don't know if you feel the same way, Rebecca, but can you talk with us about your approach to learning this? I am uh, 100% going to learn to somewhat sing Namdi's part to the best of my ability, especially because of the recording process that's going to be separate and remote, which is always a challenge. And so I have to be able to anticipate what space he'll need to breathe, what parts musically we might want to move forward or hold back. Um, and so having all of those in place and knowing exactly how he'll time those will make it absolutely essential that I learn his part. Um, so that will be happening very soon <laughs> once we have the whole thing all in one uh, sure. place. Yeah. Um, and, and also just kind of generally looking at the score, like when this is just first sent to you, um, it's something that you've obviously never seen before because it's just been written um, and, and new to you as a pianist. What, what do you do to figure out like how to go about practicing and learning it? What do you look for in the score? Well, notation-wise, uh, Nevada really sets me up for ease and success in that uh, his groupings of the opening flowing 16th notes are such that I can easily see group of three, group of four, group of two, and they're also stemmed such that I know which hand plays which. So it's just like left hand, right hand, left hand, right hand, kind of seamlessly flowing into each other. And it's very visually apparent. So that's been really lovely <laughs> to just be able to look at it and know more or less how it's going to feel. Here's a clip of Rebecca performing Nevada's opening piano texture.
there's so many textures in this, like different kinds of pianistic textures. You know, you have these like kind of high bell patterns and then you have this sort of shimmering. Uh, is there like a different approach that you take to learn these different kinds of textures? I always need to live with it for a little bit and like figure out what images come to mind or what the text might elicit and figure out how physically I can bear those in mind and change what I'm doing to change my sound. Um, so at the very beginning, of course, it's more like, how do I literally play it? But as that falls into place more and more, I like go beyond it and really try to unify like what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, what I'm audiating in Namdi's part, what I'm feeling, what the text is telling me, all to inform how I move physically. We talked about textures, but also like harmony. Like when you're voicing a chord, are there like certain notes that you like bring out um, when the harmony gets darker, for example? Like yeah, I love thinking about this stuff. Um, so like depending on where where I am in the text or what what the text is trying to depict, I guess, I might select different lines or different notes to highlight. Like sometimes if it's a higher register, I might want to bring out the top and be extra sparkling and pure and crystalline. Whereas with some of the darker, more tumultuous things, uh, I would want to bring out the resounding bass, like darken the entire thing. Um, and in terms of harmonic colors, I especially like to bring out notes that uh, don't necessarily belong in the traditional diatonic chord mm -hmm. uh, progression that might normally exist. And like to really make the listener hear what makes that chord or that harmony unique and what, what unique thing that that composer brought to those harmonies, I guess. And there's so much harmonic color in this, like, you know, major sevenths and kind of like ninths yeah. and those interesting non-triadic notes that I think it's important to bring out as a pianist, for sure. At this point, I'd love to just kind of open it up. And if there's anything else about where you are right now in the process that you'd like to talk about. Also, any general reactions kind of to the process and working as a group in this way? Well, I'll jump in and say I'm particularly excited for this next phase of the process because we now have a very rough draft of the entire uh, thing. Um, and now uh, Namdi and Rebecca uh, will get a chance to work through the entire song. And I'm very curious to get their feedback um, and revise and, and make the song even better. I know. I feel like this has been such an incredible just learning experience for me, even with my own craft. Like earlier hearing Nevada talk about kind of the way that, that he was reading the poem and like the kind of phrasal structures being created um, and the way that it, I know, allows me to look at my writing in a new way and writing on the whole in a new way. I feel like I'm often so kind of, for example, caught up in like kind of the line-to-line -line interactions and kind of hearing him talk about, I know, coming to, to a, a phrase's culmination, the way that that is, is such a kind of definitive Thing for the emotional structure of, of the piece, I think is just, I know, it, it's been a really eye-opening thing. And even just like listening to musicians talk about music, I, Nandi gets to something earlier about, I, I think the, the phrase was a darker vowel color. It's like, wow, <laughs> like <laughs> poetry. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. synesthetic kind of interactions of, of the way that musicians talk about music it has been 
an incredible thing to be able to be witness to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking about that before too when Namdi was talking about vowel colors and um, like as a as a vocalist, there's these like really specific ways to to talk about different types of vowels that are more open or closed and it changes the way that the word sounds when you're singing. And I'm sure that's like really important (laughs) for you to think about in, in each word that you choose. When I think about the process so far, I think overall my favorite thing is to know what exactly was going on in the poet's process and the composer's process of this art song and to even be involved in myself. Because as a classical musician, much of my life is spent trying to get into the mind and soul of composers and of poets uh, who have created these art songs that are so dear to our repertoire and like trying to imagine what they may have intended, what they felt, or what moved them or what drove them. And so knowing those processes for our artists in this group and then also getting to perform it is the best thing ever. I mean, I'm just, I'm really excited to see where this continues to go. I, I love what we've, what we've already got and it's, it's an absolute joy to sing. Um, yeah, I, I, I love music that stretches me as a singer and, and this is, and this is doing it for me. So I'm, I'm excited to see where else this goes. Well, thank you all again so much. I mean, we're not really going to talk to you again as a group like this. So we yeah. sure we get the thank yous in. Really, it's been so much fun to hear from all of you and, and learn so much from all of you during this whole process. Thank yeah. you for bringing us together. <laughs> Thanks so much. Ditto. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Take care. We'll hear Rebecca and Namdi's performance in a few weeks, and next week we'll have our final interview episode with Group 3. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at How It's Musically Made. Feel free to send us questions and comments through a direct message. See you next week! This project is supported in part by the Paul R. Judy Center for Innovation and Research at the Eastman School of Music. If you would like to sponsor an episode or contribute to the project, send us a message on Facebook or Instagram at How It's Musically Made. (laughs) 